is on mute as well. Oh, there we go. Thank you. Good job. That shouldn't have been on the recording. Anyway, so um, welcome. And if you're listening in, thank you for joining us uh, whenever, whatever. This is Sunday the 28th of 2021. First Sunday of Advent. (laughs) Christmas tree up. Come and sing carols around the man's windows. Some presents were up. Right, we digress. So, uh, I'm going to want to read uh, from Luke chapter 2, and it'll become clear why. You may think that this is slightly out of, of time, um, given where we are in the season of the year, but it, hopefully it will be, become clear. So, cha- Luke chapter 2, verses 22 and following. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, that's Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it's written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what uh, is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, As you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to whom all were looking forward to the day of redemption. I wonder when was the last time you waited for something? The post? Supper? The sermon to end. And we're over, no we're not. Uh, This week I was going to see mum and uh, as is the want of motorways sometimes, there was an hour delay on the motorway. It was a bit tedious. Or have you been on that call uh, phoning up to one of those helplines? We're sorry, we're experiencing higher than usual call volumes at the moment. 
You're number 53 in the queue, waiting. Whether it's at the fast food, McDonald's, no reason I'm looking at the young people, but... um, And they take a bit longer than ever, and there's a lot of irritation, isn't there? We have to wait. It should be fast and immediate and available. Or been to that meal out recently or Christmas, and heaven forbid that the waiter or waitress or the chefs are a little bit slow. We'd be very quickly asking for things to be sped up. Or can we have some money off the bill, please? Tea room dwellers at the back, I look to you. They get an answer, bless you, don't they? Uh. (laughs) Or that time, I don't know if you've experienced it, that kind of matter of British manners or etiquette. You kept me waiting. And that struggle that we go through if we ever go to the developing world where it's on India time or Africa time and on time is within 24 hours generally. It's a huge vex to us from the West. We like to be on the clock. So often our world and our culture finds waiting tedious, wasteful, boring, whether that's for something or someone. And yet today, at the start of Advent, we begin this waiting phase waiting for Christmas. The day-by-day journey, perhaps broken by, for those smaller members of our congregation, by the small piece of delight of chocolate every day in that little door that gets opened on the Advent calendar. One more day closer. And yet, as I was running or walking, I can't remember which, running I think on Monday, and I was thinking I'm preaching on Sunday, I was thinking what to to speak about, and this phrase, as I came up, holy waiting. For Advent is about preparation, about the coming, the long-awaited. But something about holy waiting, and as I I ran, I won't tell you how far, because it would sound slightly smug, but as I went foot by foot by foot around the hills, mostly flat, I began to think about waiting in the terms of this journey to Christmas, but also how often waiting figures. It becomes a major theme. It's there throughout the old and the new. And it seems, as I've dwelt on this this, this week, that this biblical understanding of holy waiting is a strongly positive image. It's not one of those like, oh, what a waste of time. Oh, hurry up. You've inconvenienced me. For the scriptures, very often, it sees this as a virtue. So, so many passages. This morning, as, as we stumblingly lit our first Advent candle with the, uh, the frozen lighter, or whatever happened to the lighter that Phil had brought, we each week light one more candle. Sometimes the children who come up light are eager to light more, but it's like, no, hang on. Wait another week, for there's preciousness in the preparation and the journey and in the waiting. 
If you wanted to know that the word Advent comes from ad meaning to, and the, uh, the root of the word meaning uh, to come. So uh, it's to come, that which is arriving. There are five principal ways the Bible speaks of wait, waiting. Each with a different emphasis, but it's always positive. The first of those is trust. That the act of waiting, the act of waiting is something when we wait upon God is something that is signifying, I will trust him. It signifies and is often occurring with patience of submission, of dependence, and of contentment, even in the less than ideal state that we find ourselves in. I will trust him, and I will wait patiently. As I read earlier on at the start of the service from Psalm 130, but actually carried so much in the Psalms, this theme of wait. In Psalm 27, the psalmist has this sense of waiting for vindication from God. Someone has wronged him. Something bad has happened in life. It is unjust. And yet he enjoins, he entrusts himself to God and says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. The focus of waiting isn't on self. It isn't on circumstance, but very much looking to God. Or of similarly in Psalm 37, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Lamentations 3, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Henri Nouwen said this, waiting is a period of learning. The longer we wait, the more we hear about him from whom we are waiting in this Advent journey, rather than rush into the day, maybe use a calendar, write it out on a sheet, and actually mark off the days and see it as a journey of preparation, of waiting, and of this journey of trust. Translate that into whatever journey, whatever circumstance, wherever you are kind of saying, Lord, break in here. Let it be a waiting, a trusting to be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. C.H. Spurgeon in his part one of his biography, autobiography, says this, hoping does not mean doing nothing. It's not fatalistic resignation. It means going about our assigned task confident that God will provide the meaning and the conclusions. It's not compelled to work away at keeping up appearances with a bogus spirituality. It is the opposite of desperate and panicky manipulations, of scurrying and of worrying. And hoping is not dreaming. It's not spinning the illusion or fantasy to protect us from our boredom or our pain. It means a confident, alert expectation that God will do what he said he will do. It is imagination put in the harness of faith. It is a willingness to let God do it in his way and in his time. It is the opposite of making plans that we demand that God put into effect, telling him both how and when to do it. This is not hoping in God 
but bullying God. I pray to God my life a prayer and wait for what he'll say and do. My life's on the line before my God, my Lord, waiting and watching till morning. Waiting and watching till morning. Waiting is trusting. Sometimes things need to wait for bread to prove and rise from the immaculate uh, from the annunciation of the birth and the arrival of the messiah of a wait of 9 months best not hurry that one trusting in god's time waiting is a posture of trust unlike buses when you never know if they'll turn up. It's also waiting, it's definitely a statement of faith. In many passages in scripture, waiting for God is an act that is implied with a withholding of our best endeavors. Waiting, in other words, becomes this, this adventure, this venture of faith, a trust in God rather than in ourselves or in human means. In Proverbs 20, do not say I will repay evil, wait for the Lord and he will help you. An oppressed person prays, O Lord, be gracious to us, we wait for you, be our salvation in the time of trouble. That lovely, lovely verse in Isaiah 40, where it says, don't just exert your strength and your vitality of youth, leads to weariness, but those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, they shall run and not be faint, they shall walk and not grow weary. Waiting is an exercise of faith. Think of, as I, as I was jogging along, I was thinking about Abraham and the promise to Abraham to leave the land in Ur of the Chaldeans way, way, way in the far, in the far Middle East. And God said, I will give you a place. And he set out, he left with his tents and he journeyed all the way across to the Mediterranean. And it was credited to him as righteous. And when he trusted God's word, he set out. But not only that, think about his offspring. Who was his precious son? Is his audience participation? Isaac. Be a little more confident. You remember your Sunday school. And they were aged, weren't they? A bit like the story, they were very old like uh, Anna in the temple, very old, is this euphemism of saying they're past being able to have a baby. And yet God has said, you'll be the father of, of an abundant people. And Abraham had to wait, and Sarah had to wait. Well, actually, they did try to do it in their own strength, didn't they? Because Abraham said, well, here's our servant Hagar. Oh, no, sorry, Sarah said, here's our servant Hagar. Come on, then. Let's get the ball rolling. <laughs> and what happened? Ishmael was born. And yet, what God was calling Abraham to and Sarah 
and this precursor of the covenant was wait in faith for God will do it. God will do it. And Isaac was born. They laughed. (laughs) What a joke to these old bones. A baby born. Joseph when he was sold into slavery and he'd had all those visions of what would become and years went by. The people of God after Joseph, before uh, when Pharaoh changed, 400 years waiting and crying out as the Pharaoh changed and life became tough. Again and again, the wait, the wait, the waiting, but credited so often with faith. And that's where we pick up the story of Simeon and Anna. Remember, Simeon was waiting. The Lord had said, you will see. We don't know how many years, and we're told about Anna. She was a widow for most of her life, and she never stopped worshiping. She waited confidently. She waited. I think the story so often of in this aspect of trust as an expression of waiting is how often we like to put ourselves back in gear and make it happen. Of so often the story where people say, come on, you know, let's, let's engage Hagar or let's, let's find a way of, of, of circumventing, of doing something again and again through the stories of Scripture, of God saying something, people starting off all right. And then at some point, waiting gets too hard. And getting all sorts of muddled outcomes. In this Advent season, Waiting is trust. At the right time, the Savior will come. Waiting is trust. And waiting is hope. Hopeful waiting. With hope and expectancy. To wait with faith in hope that God will act in the right time. Again, the psalmist, but it is for you, O Lord, that I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer in uh, Proverbs, th- um, Proverbs, Psalm 39. And now, O Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Psalm 130, we read it. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. In his word, I hope. I wait for the Lord uh, for, for my salvation. My God will hear me. Micah 7. But those, uh, part of the hope is that those who wait for God shall not be put to shame. Isaiah 49. And in Lamentations again, three, it is good to those who wait for him, to, to the soul that seeks him. The focus of our waiting is him. Hopefulness. That amazing parable, there's a whole bunch of parables at the end of Matthew's gospel about waiting. They're about the second coming, and I'll come on to that. But they're about the delay, aren't they? Have you noticed that? That parable of with the song, give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. About the, the bridesmaids. Of the ten, and, uh, and five were wise and five were foolish. Why? Because the bridegroom was delayed, and they waited with hope. He will come. Again and again in the latter parables of, of, uh, of Matthew's gospel, the emphasis is on the delay, but wait with faith. Wait with hope. He will come. 
And that leads us into the fourth thing, and that is, I guess, advent of the coming. The coming of the Lord. He will come, and his coming redemption. Again and again, again and again and again and again in the Old Testament, the messianic prophecies, that, that rising wave of, of expectancy. The Lord will do a new thing. He shall come, but we will have to wait. He may delay, but he is coming. And at just the right time, when everything seemed to be silent and the world at its darkest, and where were the promises and where was the covenant and how was God going to speak and act and fulfill all that he's announced? An angel came. Glad tidings. It has come to pass for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Titus 2, the blessed hope and the manifestation of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Waiting. And even now we wait. In this journey of Advent, we recognize he's come already in, in as as uh, Jesus, born of Mary in Bethlehem, grew up in Egypt and Nazareth, and we know the story. But the last phrase of the revelation in chapter 22, come Lord Jesus, Maranatha, that prayer, that longing hope for the waiting for the new heavens and the new earth. Do you remember that? came across this lovely story of a, a lady who was buried, yeah, I think, in America. It talks about an Episcopal church, which I know can mean many things, but tends to be in America. There was a woman who was buried under a 150-year-old live oak tree in the cemetery, the graveyard of this Episcopal church. And in accordance with the woman's instructions, only one word was carved on the gravestone. Waiting. The return of the king, waiting, for she knew she would be raised imperishable and see the Lord Jesus face to face. And some, Paul says, sleep, waiting for the return, but we wait and he will come. Advent speaks of watchfulness in this waiting of this advent of waiting and watching don't be alarmed jesus says when you hear rumors of wars and and all those things these must come there's a film that needs to be made about ernest shackleton maybe there is one already and i haven't come across it great epic south uh, ocean antarctica explorer um he got stuck in a dreadful accident. His boat crushed with ice. And in the southern Atlantic Ocean, he left a few men on Elephant Island and said, I'll be back. Not in an Arnold Schwarzenegger fashion. But watch for me. I will return. And the boat was crushed and these people had to eat their dogs and they had to eat uh, scraps of seals and, what, and penguins, I think, and whatever they could uh, get their hands on. And they... Some of them lost hope and died. But a few remained. 
When Shackleton, in the story, tried to go back, huge icebergs blocked the way, but he knew he wanted to get back to his, his fellow uh, sailors, those who journeyed with him. And as he tried to get back, his wave upon wave was blocked of the seasons. Uh, he had to wait, but suddenly, as if by a miracle, he says, an avenue opened up in the ice, and he was able to get through. And he found his sailors, his men, ready and waiting, and they quickly scrambled aboard. And the story goes, no reason to doubt it's not true. No sooner had the ship cleared out of the reach of the island than the ice that had separated crashed together around and behind them. Contemplating the narrow escape, the explorer said to the rescued men, it was fortunate you were all packed and ready to go. They replied, we never gave up hope. Whenever the sea was clear of ice, we rolled up our sleeping bags and reminded each other, he may come today. And he did. And finally, in waiting, the fifth. Is this kind of sense of waiting is actually a wholesome, holistic, holy God-fearing trust, waiting God in a sense of, I trust him entirely. Isaiah 30, blessed are those who wait for God. Hosea 12, 6, to the people who continually wait for God. Psalm 31, the group designated of God's saints and the faithful is also called, you who wait for the Lord. Indeed, there is this implication that waiting for God seems to be like a synonymous, like the same as with the covenant itself. Isaiah 64, from ages past, no one has heard, no eye has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. Advent is a holy posture. Waiting, holy waiting. It says we have hope, we trust. We know he will return, he is coming. And of course, trust. Let's come to the table. There's verses in Corinthians that Paul writes that whenever we 